0: This event was recorded live at the 2010 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Well, welcome to something which may possibly be the oddest event in the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Um, my name is Ruth Padell and I shall have the honour of introducing you to two extraordinary writers, Faye Weldon and Fatima Bhutto But first, please, I... I'm supposed to ask you three things. First of all, please make sure your mobile phones are off. Secondly, please don't leave before the end unless you absolutely have to, um, for whatever reason. And thirdly, if you want to tweet about this event, and um, many people may want to, please wait until the lights go up and there are questions before before you tweet. So this is the second of a little mini-series. I mean, there are lots of treatises. I'm sure <laughs> this is the end, second of a mini-series, which is about writing and family. And in a way, I sort of invented it as writing the family. What is it to to write about your family in a, in a deep sense? Generations, fathers, children, mothers, daughters, etc. The first of these was Lyndall Gordon. On her book about Emily Dickinson, um, which is the sort of dark family secrets of behind Emily's life. And that book is called Lives Like Loaded Guns. And the next will be tomorrow, which is two men, um, John Burnside, David Van, talking about their relations with their fathers in their work. Um, but today, that metaphor, uh, Lives Like Loaded Guns, now is going to turn into a kind of tragic and also comic reality. And, and I think this, this, this place, this joining of these two books, is in a way, I mean, this is a book festival. It's a real test of what writing, good writing, can do. Because the generosity and the grace of really good writing can embrace things that are very violent extremes. Well, Fatima is the Afghan-born Pakistani writer from a great and in you know, a royal political dynasty whose fate is entwined with, with that of her country. And, and actually, at this point, I've got, I'm sure everybody here will feel, and I'm, I'm sure many people have already given to the assistance of this awful things that are happening, a country of 170 million people in which 14 million this moment are in need of immediate relief and we, we i know you know that people here that yes. that and people it's think actually
1: think it's 20 million now oh. as of the the latest figures coming in so maybe we can talk a bit about that
0: we of course the well, yeah. yeah i mean um, and 2 million are homeless or well, maybe that's more now i don't know it's around 6 now god this yeah. was only 5 <laughs> hours ago i got it's, my m- it's multiplying so quickly yeah yeah mm. um, well i know you know we have we have Sympathy. But her book, this this book here, The Songs of Blood and Sword, is a daughter's memoir of a father and of his father, um, who was executed in 1979. But it's also, in a sort of uniquely, as the political history of of Pakistan in the last three decades. And it is a tragedy in the sort of ancient sense of the world, which makes you think of Aeschylus, the Aristia and the sort of particularly bloodiest of, of Shakespeare's history plays. But it's also a wonderful portrait, if, if that's OK to say so, of a sort of daughter's really tender and intimate relationship with her father, also finding out about her father's past before you were born. Um, so there's a lot of tenderness and wit and humor in it, as well as, as all the other. Fay is a wonderful novelist whom I know you have read many of her novels before. What, how, what number of this, what number I is it? You I don't know. I don't know. Can't. I, thought I don't know. Can't. Um, I, can, I, mean, I can remember where I was when I first read The Shrapnel Academy, when I first read Puffball. I mean, you know, you, um, she also wrote the first episode of Upstairs, Downstairs. <laughs> and that's relevant to this new novel, Kehua, um, because there's a, one of the least less attractive characters in it, has just been axed from a remake of Upstairs, Downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, and this is a sort of a wise and profound, but also an absolutely dazzling c- comedy. Um, but it is about murder, adultery, incest, and the doom hanging, the doom, but also perhaps the saving grace of, a, of, of generations. And so, what on earth have they got in common? of um, these two books. I mean, they are different genres. One is memoir, and one is fiction, or even metafiction. I'm not quite sure about that. Um, and they are, of course, tragedy and comedy. Well, one thing they've got in common is an absolutely exquisite control of tone. And with, this is, again, I'm thinking from a technical point of view as, as a writer. Um, And, I mean, uh, I want to come on and ask you about how you've managed to get that tone in what you're writing about, because it's extraordinary. Um, And you, of course, are a mistress of tone. (laughs) Um, um, But also, of course, it's about families and, and pain and how that is sort of manifest through the generations. We all have families. We all have trouble going down from our parents to our children and so on. And the common ground is really provided by the the title of Faye's book, which is Kehua. And um, they are the externalised spirits of the dead. Faye, would you like to talk a little about them? Because there are metaphors for them like Grandmother's Footsteps or the Hounds of Hell or the Kelpies. Talk a bit about the
2: Kehua. Well, the spirits have become globalised, I think, and and the the kind of wisdom of various cultures which comes through to their view of the afterlife of the spirits of how they haunt you, seems to me to have uh, the Maori ones are, are very ple- are comparatively pleasant. Their whole instinct is to get the the, the family together, uh, so they're they're not actually frightening so much as walling and sheepdogging almost, yes. and 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 uh, yes. I mean, I mean, sort of no, herding. Yes, very now and this
0: lovely character Scarlet who who leaves her her husband and she goes to see her grandmother and then you get the whole history of the grandmother and how she's the product of a murder and god knows who her father really is and things yes like that. and
2: so this confusion runs through the family and is inherited it really is as a dysfunction and, and, and so the family remains dysfunctional simply because of what has happened in the past and I think that what happened generations ago still affects us Today, in one way or another, and and makes us what we are, and so really, I've just personalised them almost these spirits into into either the furies or the hungry dead or or mm. or or the kibbutz or whatever it is that you manage to control the dead, control the past by, and and if they're the furies, they're your own guilt. Well, this not it's the guilt of the generations which works through the terrible events of the of the generations. Which people may not speak about, but alter their behaviour all and it takes a long, long time to wear them out, but it's quite a hopeful thing because because. Uh, you, you, it, it joins us to, to, the, to with a sense of family. I think.
0: Well, you also you talk about it as DNA, don't you? At one point, <laughs> and, and actually there are some various digs at Dawkins along the way. And, and the, there's a novelist in here who may or may not be Fay, and she she gets haunted by the. By the people who've lived in the basement where she's working, but at one point she gets outraged because she realises that these ghosts are actually exorcising her. To them, she's a ghost.
2: Yes, she is the ghost. (laughs) Yes, because she starts hearing the sort of the tolling of the bell and the sort of do you know which is her being exorcised. No, she gets very indignant. She thinks it's her year, her time, her space, and why are they intruding on it? But they do.
0: Yes. Well, but the Furies, of course, the Greek Furies are are really the genre of tragedy. It was, it was Greek tragedy that invented the Furies, in a way. And they come out of the ground, out of the ground of the, of the family. Um, and they are called up by blood. It's a sort of bloodline, yes. as well. Yes. I yes, yes, yes. Did you know you were going to, I mean, when you started this novel, did you know that these were going to
2: come up? No, I had the faintest idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was writing, I'd started as a book about a family who the generations they sort of felt always they had to run, they had to escape, they had to get out of there, which actually relates back to the first terrible incident when, when a child was escaping a murdering, murderous father.
0: Well, why don't you just tell us a little about that? Because it's, it, it goes through the book, those steps go through the book.
2: Yes it's 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 it's, it's when she, when all the characters keep hearing run run and and they're what sort of the kahoo are telling you to get out of there whatever happens but it's not good advice it's 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 it relates to the past not to now which is why you shouldn't take too much notice of what your mother tells you to do or your grandmother tells you to do <laughs> because she's wrong you
0: know? <laughs> But sometimes the the advice the, the run runs. I mean, like well, at, the at the end, end it at the end, her. at
2: the end, finally, yes, it saves her from you know from actually doing a murder <laughs> yes. because, because um, she is so incensed that that you know like her her grandfather, she's mm. a murderer. I mean, yes. you know, in a way, we are all murderers and murderers, and and that you know people die, get born, die, and and. And we're not nearly as placid or as passive as we think. I mean, it, it, it runs in us to be. I mean, all these emotions, I think, are there, yes. although they're very sort of socialized out of us. So we don't admit them or acknowledge them. But but we're fairly d- destructive as people, I think.
0: Yes, you you give a, a portrait of a very self-destructive species, <laughs> essentially. Um, but I mean, the ho- one of the things is your your control of tone. Pay. I mean, it's you know it just effervesces like ginger beer bubbles out of this book that you so enjoy writing, would you?
2: Yes, uh, yes I I, I did in the end I I mean writing is not without its problems or its trials or its tediousness but by and large yes, it it, it is and can be exhilarating but getting that tone is not easy, I mean you're right about sort of you will write the first bit about sort of six or seven times over until you get the one which is easiest. I think it is getting the tone and the content right, sort of balanced and right, so that it's easy to write. And, and but it's hard. It's very hard getting getting to the easy bit.
0: Okay, I'm just wanting to make sure that you can hear. Can you all hear up there?
2: No. Not very not well. Not really. No, we will. Is there project. any way
0: to turn it up a bit? Or, or... No, all. No, we will speak right. up. Okay. Yes. <coughs> okay. Well, we're ta- we're talking about about tone. I mean, and the the tone of this is, is extraordinary. But at one point she, I mean, she starts off by saying, I mean, the novelist, whoever is writing this book, um, starts off by saying, "You're writer."
2: So there's a relationship with the audience. Yes. Well, this is this is. Uh, it seems to me that these days, if you're writing a book, everybody knows who you are. Your pictures on the back. To pretend that it's not you writing it seems rather sort of. Odd to me. So these days, I, I've gone back to something I did early on, which to talk about your writer is to be there actually in the book, kind of breaking in every now and then to describe the actual writing of the novel uh, in the basement with the spiders, uh, <laughs> with the ghosts of the of the old Victorian servants coming through. You know, so you it's auditory things that she's hearing all the time, it, it, and then. And then the characters themselves become, which who seem to me to be like ghosts because they're invented. They're not real. They're very convincing, but they're not actually there. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing. They're spirits yes. too, which which do summon out of somewhere, and invest simply invent or create things which were not were not there in the real world. Which seems pretty much like ghosts to me. Well, it is. It's the sort of novel of of ricocheting sort of relationships. So you get the
0: the audience and the writer and then you get the characters and the writer and then the, the haunting ghosts start to affect the characters and you, you, it, it culminates in the dog <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Patch, this dog um, she suddenly finds the grave of the dog she invented right at the beginning mm. yeah, yeah, Exactly
2: and all this is I mean, I can almost hardly remember what is true and what is false, and what is invented and what was real, and were they real ghosts or are they real characters? I mean, the whole thing, you know, is all contained in that book, and I'm sort of rather glad I'm out of it now. You know. <laughs> <coughs> I don't think I could face going back <laughs> into the complexity of it all. Yes,
0: but well, I wanted also to ask you because you've you've written a memoir. I mean, we're going to come on to Fatima's memoir in a moment, but I mean. I seem to remember quite a lot of reviews of your last books. There was a sort of grey area between: is this memoir, and is it a novel? Would you yeah, like well, to? I
2: like th- well, I like I like to mix them. I see no reason why you should not. I mean, you know, I here I am. I wrote these books. I'm writing that book. I might as well acknowledge it and stop pretending somebody else <laughs> that wrote them. Because my picture's on the back. There I am. Um, uh, and and some time back I, I wrote a, I wrote a proper memoir. Then I wrote a novel called Mantrap, which was the second part of the autobiography, really, in which I was trying to prove that that I invented things. I wasn't writing about my own life, but it was actually invention. But the more I the further I got into this book, the further I realized I was totally wrong. That actually what <laughs> what you do is re kind of reproduce some aspects of your life or the emotions that you know. You put yourself in other bodies, other times. But it's still, you have to acknowledge in the end that, that you are there. And so I've given up pretending I'm not, shall we put it like that. And so now I tend to exist in the novels as some old lady, you know, who's (laughs) looking back on the past, and and as, as there is in this one. Although you write about the young, because you know, really, honestly, nobody wants to read about old ladies particularly. So you have to, you know, so you have, so the young are there because they're in a way more interesting, because if only because they're what we have created and they actually created, created mm. fictional characters. But we created, we, we really created the world. Mm. That everybody has to live in now. You're terribly nice
0: about them. I mean, even even the awful Jackson. You say, well, this is the sort of sort of person he is. I'm sorry, and um, Scarlett would have realised if she wasn't completely blinded by lust. But this is how he is. (laughs) Yes, but no,
2: I I I don't condemn easily. You know, I don't think it's reasonable to condemn people for what they do because all of us, I mean, like me, do the best you you know. feel you do what you can, in the only thing you can, in the circumstances you find yourself. And most, it's very rare to meet anybody who admits that they were wrong or have done a wrong thing yes. or a bad. They all, we all think we're good, which means, you know, we probably aren't. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I think
0: we'll move on. I mean, I was thinking that um, in tragedy in Athens, when which invented tragedy and invented the Furies, all of our Furies really—they come through Athens once upon a time—and there were then three, tra- three days of tragedy and then a day of comedy. So the genius of Aristophanes followed the genius of Aeschylus, but I'm, we're doing it the other way around today. Yes. So I'm going to move now to um, to Fatima because we've had the sort of externalizations of the curse, um, and what's left out, what isn't in Fay's novel, is politics and power and the sort of absolute misuse of power and fatima this is the sort of background of what you've written Um, yes
1: i think any anywhere you have power you're going to have the misuse of power unfortunately and and power is ultimately violent. In, in any or most of its forms, yes, to me at least. Yes,
0: Actually at the beginning of the Prometheus Vinctus in, in Aeschylus there are these two figures who are chaining Prometheus to a rock and they're called Kratos and Beer, which is power and force. Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And you, you quote Milan Kunder at the beginning, you say the struggle of people against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. And that was really why you wrote this.
1: Yes, because in the background, for those who ha- haven't seen the book or don't know, is, is that not only is, is Pakistan currently seen as, as this quite volatile, violent country, but it, but it has been since its inception. So the, the first appointed prime minister of Pakistan, Uliya uh, Ali Khan, was assassinated. And this is, you know, just years after independence. Until this day, now more than 60 years after this man's murder, we d- nobody knows who ordered his killing, uh, who killed Liya Khan, or, or why. And this violence is not just a threat in the country, but, but in my family. Yes. And in a country where you, you cannot rely on the justice of the state, or you cannot rely on um, the neutrality, or in fact, um, the courts at all, where you cannot rely on, on, on or the police to provide any kind of protection. Uh, your your memory becomes your 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 only weapon, your your voice, as it were. And in in a country that is so young, we're just sixty three years old this this weekend on Saturday.
0: I mean, it was it was Pakistan's Independence Day yes. on Saturday. So we're
1: sixty three years young, and yet we have this amazing capacity for amnesia when it comes to our violence. And. Not just the violence of our political figures, because we are a country of political assassinations, but there are
0: assassinations every day in Pakistan that
1: we don't talk about.
0: Well, um, there are some incredibly upsetting scenes in in your book, which um, must have been very upsetting to write about. And um, I just wanted to ask you something which is really a technical question. Did you need to rewrite many times over? Because the control of tone you've got is just extraordinary, considering what's happening.
1: No, I, I couldn't rewrite any of, of those difficult and traumatic scenes again. I had to write them just once. But it yeah. meant that I had to steal myself for days or for weeks to get to the point where I could sit down at a desk and write them. Yeah. And after I finished, I needed to be away, I needed yeah. to, to let to let it be for a good while.
0: I mean, one of the most sort of shocking, because it was surprising, I could just read a little bit. I mean, I knew from the front of the cover, you know that your father is assassinated, your uncle is assassinated, your grandfather is assassinated. And we know, of course, that your Mm -hmm. aunt, Benazir, um, Mm -hmm. you don't write about that. But um, this was what actually sort of got to me right at the end. If you don't mind me reading a little Mm -hmm. bit of it, this is a few um, just a little bit after her father is killed. Um, and on the third day of mourning, Benazir came under cover of darkness to evade the protesters who had been attacking her motorcade. She said she wanted her mother to be with her for a few days, this is Fatima's grandmother, and swept Junan out of our house. We never saw our grandmother again. Junan is now held incommunicado by the Zadaris in a garish house in Dubai. Benazir never allowed her to see her again, except for a brief 40-minute visit in Islamabad, six months after Papa had been killed. She looked ghostly pale and haggard. She was being given medicine I don't know what for. I mean, that t- in, as a sort of plot without sort of mm. talking about it. It's just staggering, because it's not what you're expecting. You steal yourself for the deaths, but not for the disappearance of your grandmother. And I don't know how you manage yeah. to do it and keep control of the words and I, I know that you have got a wonderful future before you as a writer <laughs> <laughs> well it's
1: it's also i think it's not th-
0: self-pitying that's a brilliant thing
1: well one, when when that kind of i su- of violence it is is part of your life from the beginning you become familiar with it and you become familiar with the language of talking about it or talking to it and I. You know, there were several things I remember growing up. I remember that every night before my grandmother went to sleep, and I mentioned this in the book, as a child she used to put, when I, as I, when I was a child she used to put earplugs in. And I always just say, well, why are you wearing earplugs when you sleep? And it was because when her husband, my grandfather, was taken and arrested, uh, one of the times before he was uh, killed, it, it was in the middle of the night, and she heard the, the boots of, of the soldiers coming up the stairs. And, and that's how she slept. Mm. And there was nothing self-pitying about it. That's just how she told us why she had this bedtime ritual. I, and I, I, you find it later on in, in, in your life as well. And uh, you know, I remember, uh, well, the two things. I, I, when, 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 when we were inside the house, as, as my father was being killed, just footsteps from our door, my brother Zulfi, who at the time was six years old, um, was sitting in the room with me and my mother. We'd gone into, into a room that had no windows, uh, which is actually lucky since my family hated daylight and, and most of the house seems to be boarded up. We went into this room with windows and we were all very nervous. And my brother Zofi was swinging from one of the chairs and he kept saying to me, don't worry, it's just fireworks. Because in, in the Karachi that he grew up in, you heard gunfire all the time. You heard gunfire at night, you heard it in the morning, you heard it when you were at school. And it eventually stopped being scary. Yes. Uh, And I suppose that (laughs) so to answer your question, Ruth, um, you you get you it's it's amazing what you adapt to and what language you learn to speak. Mm. And it can even be a language of 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 calm in the in in the face
0: of violence or or even trauma. Well, it's it's interesting how following on from Emily Dickinson, the lives like loaded guns idea, Mm. uh, Lyndall Gordon's this is was that the extraordinary control of poetry that that Emily Dickinson has is you know that there's a violence the volcano whatever it is in the middle of it um and that, and in a way that's what really really good writing is it's something that you know it's it's hard to get that tone whatever the genre yeah. yes,
2: can yeah. feel mirth is, is you can feel mirth is almost illegitimate in the, in except so I'm rather pleased to know about Mm. <laughs> the one day of comedy, which is a, which is seen as a relief from the from the But it's
0: also the addressing tragedy. dangerous and difficult things. I mean, when Aristophanes was writing, he was addressing this tragic war, which was killing yes. people the whole time. So um, yes, but um, there are lovely moments in your book. I mean, you give a, also a portrait of yourself growing up, both in relation to your father, and I mean, you were a sort of. Pushy and precocious child is how you push. It. I mean, there's a wonderful scene at a banquet given by um, Assad, president of Syria, when you push your way onto his knee and clamor for his attention. Well, actually,
1: yeah, it was my, um, my aunt had come on. Uh, has the mic gone off, or can you?
0: We just have to project I'll just as much scream. as can <laughs> the back of the um,
1: My aunt had come to Syria on a state visit, and, and she was sitting next to the president of Syria on, on the official table. And I felt very <laughs> left out, and and so you I how uh, oh seven, yeah. um, <laughs> and I just went and sat on her lap and just started to talk to her, and she you know she, her face would drift, and I would bring her chin back to talk to me because <laughs> I felt I know, that surely this was not more interesting than what I had to say to her at the time. My parents were very nervous and kept trying to lure me away, and I wouldn't have any of it. But um, but so yes, and I, I did a talk recently, and I I said to it was with. Um, William Darmpo is coming here soon, and and he he quoted that pa- oh I I read that passage and I said I was a pushy and precocious child and he said was, <laughs> 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 which I thought was
0: very rude. But, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very interesting self-portrait of you as a child. But also it's a it's a good as it were literary device. I mean, you may not have thought of it as a literary device, but it's very good because you you see everything from your your perspective. Your, also mm. about unfolding understanding
1: well one of, one of my favorite books is is um, malcolm x 's autobiography, and the reason I always loved the book is because unlike any other memoir or biography or history you read he doesn't, he doesn't paint himself as this you know rather magnificent hero you know he 's very upfront about his failings and, and the fact that he was a hustler and he was self hating and he made these mistakes and th- that was part of his his journey and I was a pushy child <laughs> <laughs> And I think that pushiness, or that, or that portrait, um, is important when talking about figures that are so much larger than life, uh, and, and how you relate to them as someone who knew them intimately, mm-hmm. and who didn't particularly care about their ceremony, um, and so saw them actually as, as human beings, not, not as you know these, these immortal, beings we tend to lionize all our public figures and it's, it's misleading
0: well i think one of the most moving parts of what you of the trick you pull off as a writer is that you know you were very close to your aunt benazir mm-hmm. and you call her wadi you mm-hmm. called her wadi and and you give an implicit picture of change of a of a, of a change there which um, must have been very painful to live through but also you. Would you like to talk a bit about that? I mean, you say it yeah. at one point, after the grandmother thing, you say, I, I never saw that Wadi again.
1: Yes, what Wadi means in, in Sindhi, it, you know, anyone who knows Urdu, or, or indeed Sindhi or Punjabi knows that it's incredibly rich as a language, because you have a name, you don't just say aunt, you say father's older aunt, father's younger aunt, father's third aunt, father's twelfth aunt, and so I called her Wadi, and I was, which means father's elder sister, and I, I was the only one to do so. And... Growing up, um, she was a very different woman. And, and I think when you talk about, again, people who have public lives or public personas, um, it's very difficult to, to explain how they move with time and how they change. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, someone doesn't wake up different one morning, but it's a process. And so as a child, I knew this woman who was inc- incredibly brave. An incredibly vulnerable, who was fighting a dictatorship and, and and against great odds, and at the risk of her own freedom and her own safety, and and there was something accessible about her then, and and, and as power happened to her, that that accessibility changed and that vulnerability changed. But there was also
0: a man happened to her.
1: A man happened to her, yes. Um, but I, you know, sometimes I wonder if power hadn't. Been in the picture would the man have mattered and maybe not mm. I, I think <coughs> i think it may have been a combination but 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 slowly that woman who had suffered so much became someone who inflicted that
0: suffering on other people mm. um well, I, I wanted to ask one more thing before we have maybe a bit of a dialogue here about um do you think your father's life would have been different if his father hadn't asked his sons to, as it way, in a way, yes. avenge him. Yes. It, the,
1: the, yes. Because absolutely. this is, in a
0: way, the, the externalization, you know, the Kehua the or the Furies or whatever. Yes. It's the, uh, the blood calling to blood, like Orestes and the Aristarchus.
1: It changed his, before his father was killed, he sent a letter to my father, my grandfather. And in that letter, he, he dictated the lives of his sons. And he said, if you do not avenge my deaths, then you are not my sons. Mm. And at the time that he sent this letter, his two sons had spent the last two years traveling the world, uh, lobbying government, speaking to journalists, protesting, you know, galvanizing Pakistani communities around the world to appeal for clemency for their father's life. So they were fighting for their father's life already.
0: How old were they both then?
1: so they were my father was 25 and his brother was 21 and it was it was a, it was a, it was a choice that not only changed their lives but but all of our lives they they then decided to confront the dictatorship of Pakistan militarily they moved to afghanistan i was born in in a, in kabul uh, under curfew and, and it was only six years later that Shanoa's my the, the younger son, lost his life uh, as a result of that choice, mm. I think. Mm. And, um, and it, it, it determined the rest of ours. Yes.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that you also did, which um, is enormously sort of pleasurable part of the book, is going to find you know your your, your father's previous girlfriend <laughs> yes. uh, before before he met your mother um, yes. or your, your your real mother. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, that, that's something also that ties in with what you're doing, which is how does I mean it's a sort of universal question which all of us will be facing in this room. How does it affect us when we learn something about what our parents did before before we were born mm. i think
2: it's astonishing the degree to which it does affect one because you think you know everything and you think you you have your family in a kind of settled picture in your mind and then some ingredient changes and it's a completely different picture that you have to adjust to and it's surprisingly it's surprisingly shocking and you thought you, you knew everything, but you don't. There was something else still, which is still capable of upsetting you in some way, because we keep our parents in this, even though they're not there, even though they've died. We, yeah. But the nice thing about the Kehua and, and the Maori view of all this is that the family is going to get together. Just because they're dead doesn't mean they've gone. It's the same, they will, in the Maori culture, even the ghosts of, the spirits of, of unborn children Uh, whether they died from a miscarriage or you didn't let them come to birth are still there and actually will help you in an emergency they're on your side and there's something really terrible happens and some two hunger gets hold of them and turns them nasty on the side, on the whole they are benign and it sees the family as a whole as something that you belong to that is benign that doesn't sort of finish uh, you know and, and really, in fact, there 's no such thing as death because you are members of that family, like it or not, whether you wouldn 't have them with you when you were alive they 're still there you don 't get rid of them
0: well, the, well, but one of the interesting things in your case is that it was a sort of enormous sort of sort of warmth it seemed to me to discover this this Greek woman who was your <laughs> father 's <laughs> great girlfriend before well, your mother
1: yes i think I think also th- this journey. Of, of looking for ghosts on one hand we had so many ghosts with us already yeah. um in, in my family and in my house and in my city and and i know people see me sometimes and they're looking at ghosts they, they're not talking to me or they're thinking of someone else who they want to talk to through me but my one of the things i did was i i traveled all over to 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 uncover my father's past and i spoke to his college professors and his roommates and there was this great love of his life, who was, who was Greek, and uh, and eventually I found her after years of searching, or rather, she found me, mm-hmm. and and I went to meet her, and um, was very strange also because when when you lose a parent, I think anyone who l- who loses a parent knows that w- one of the things that hurts most is that you you can't you can't share anything with them. Obviously, I mean, so every time I see a funny movie, I think, oh, I. I can't tell my father about it, but one of the things you also miss is the chance to argue with them. And and so I, I I I I met Della who who was with my father and I and I was talking to her and I said, well, how did it end? Because it was this quite romantic love story. Um, and she said, well, you know, he he wrote me this letter and and he said that his life was too difficult and it had changed. And her life story is very fascinating too. And 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 that we couldn't be together. And she said. But I always thought there was a girlfriend, <laughs> and and I, I I got very I was very insulted by this, and I said, well, absolutely not. You know, he was a very honorable man, and if if he said to you that that's what he, why you were breaking up, then that's why you were breaking up. And and she and, and she insisted and said, no, 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 my intuition always told me there was something else. And I said, no, 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 no. I can assure you that that wouldn't have. Been. And then and then she told me the date of their breakup, and I sort of counted backwards, and it's ten months before I was born. <laughs> and I and I had to say. Oh yes, well, I'm very sorry, I'm sure he didn't mean it no, <laughs> I he and I was And and had to call up my mother and brother and say, Well you will not believe what he did and and, and have a chance a chance to to get cross with him and and actually I, I said you know, I spent this week with Della in Greece um, going through old letters and old diaries and meeting people across the country who knew my father who I I never knew had known him. And eventually I asked her, I said, Oh Della, everybody who I meet, you know, they all see, they all talk to me in Greek. Do I do I look Greek? And she said, darling, 10 months earlier, you could have been Greek.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's not in the book.
1: <laughs> I should have put it in, actually. <laughs> Maybe in the next edition.
0: <laughs> but th- you can see how in this book, with its, its absolutely tragic, awful history, there's also such family love, family mm. fun.
1: Yes, yeah. I, I hope so. I mean, it, Again, because families are not just one thing, and um you know it's wonderful, the back of Facebook, the tale of uh, uh, adultery, murder, incest, mystery. families are sometimes <laughs> all those things, <laughs> uh, hopefully not at the same time, or hopefully not a few of them but but it, uh, you know i I had this wonderful family life, uh, and and it was what made it possible to bear all this violence mm. and what makes it possible still to bear all this violence that that we, we had another side of, of how we lived and, and that was purely th- the world that my mother and father built for us as children mm, mm-hmm. that was fun and was unusual and, 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 and made, made everything else seem bearable
0: well, <coughs> there's this image in, in Emily Dickinson of the house, my father's house. I mean, Emily decided because she was, probably because she was, a, possibly because she was epileptic, that she would stay in what she calls my father's house all the time. And she made her created world within that. And you have this image of the house, don't you? And of course, I mean, I'm thinking of Murder in the Cathedral, you know, the chorus, say, a doom on the house, a doom on the world, which is very much relates to, you know, mm-hmm. 170 million people in the mm-hmm. country. Um, but you have this, you've made this house, the image of the novel really, haunted by the image of the family.
2: Yeah, yes, and but, but I mean place I think in novels is very important, that you need, it needs to have some sort of fixed centre in which you can, as the reader, envisage what is going on, where people are, and so it, it mm-hmm. but also it is the the, the that my father's house has many mansions, has many exactly. rooms. It is this sense. I, I mean, I think if you look at the list of disasters, it's very easy to forget that they're stretched out, that there is time in between when people did live and, and in the light of which the, the, the... But it's in the light of the good times that the bad times seem so terrifying in a way. If it was all awful, you wouldn't kind of notice <laughs> you so much.
0: Well... Um, i th- I have a feeling that people will really, really want to ask questions, um, but maybe we could just say a little bit more about about the floods in Pakistan now
1: yes um, yes I, I don't know I th- how you
0: want to say it well I
1: think everyone has been watching um, th- this devastation and and what is remarkable is is the way in which, as we were saying earlier, it has multiplied so now it's estimated that 12 percent of Pakistan's population has been affected in some way or the other by the floods and that's 20 million people um, we know that cholera now has has shown its face and and today there is debate over whether it is 3.5 million children that will be affected by waterborne diseases such as cholera dysentery diarrhea or or six million uh, you know which is the UN and and the WHO have, have different figures we also know that large swaths of agricultural land, you know, 1.7 million acres was the last figure, um, have been flooded. Um, people have not just lost um, their homes and their families and their ability to make a living, but but what is incredibly frustrating is that because this government and you know the governments that preceded it in Pakistan were extraordinarily corrupt and and remain <laughs> extraordinarily corrupt, um, people are not giving as much as as they can because they are reluctant to give it to the Pakistani state and and I would say yes please don't give it to the Pakistani state because it will go to Switzerland but but if you if you give it to Oxfam and if you give it to the Red Crescent and if you give it to the Red Cross and you give it to the UN then it then you can be assured that it will go where it is meant to go and I and I f- it feels, feels extraordinarily strange for me to to come <laughs> to leave home and Really, to be at a wonderful festival and talking to people and, and, and not to mention the floods. And um, maybe just to make it personal, uh, just briefly, you know, I spoke to um, uh, Sabine, who is a great friend of mine, and her father was, was killed with mine uh, 14 years ago. And her, the village that her family comes from, which is, you know, hundreds of years old in Sindh, is now going to be evacuated. And uh, her family's land and, and their home is all in going to be submerged, uh, including her father's grave. And, and those are, there are millions and millions of those families now who are losing not just their present, but their connections to their past. And mm. anything that you can do, whether it's speaking about the floods or going on to the U- UNICEF or UNHCR or the Red Crescent's website or giving what little you can, um, I think we'll, we'll make all the difference to people who at this point don't, don't even have their memories really yeah, to, yeah. to fall back on. so
0: I suppose what one thing that's uniting us all in this is, is the idea of home and what home is. I mean, I happen to be writing a book about migration, mm-hmm. um, and um, I suddenly realized that you know migration is about home. Mm-hmm. I mean they are the two things are the two sides of the same coin and um, I mean, you, you, your home was once New Zealand. This is where, this, where the first murder happens, the first yes. memory happens, yes. in a way.
2: But, in a way, what I left out of the book was this because, because I know sort of New Zealand compatriots who come over here and then have this terrible struggle with themselves. Are they going to make their lives here where they sensibly want so far as their careers and their happiness and their boyfriends are but there's always this feeling of being drawn back all the time Mm -hmm. and in a way in the book I have the Kahua who are doing it and the Kahua finally give up and make their home in Highgate (laughs) so you know so it settles everything they can just be there this is the sort of the graveyard the happy place the wonderful place and it's there in Highgate so you know I've got a little branch started up there which I suppose is what sort of communities do don't they they you know if you have to be in a new place they they create right. the home yeah. where they are
0: but also you do it you that word branch is very important because you do it a lot through trees i mean she sneakily gets in this bit of um, of um new zealand what's it called that that plant the plant that, that donna has oh kowai
2: kowai oh yes Kauai. Oh, Kauai. yes yes
0: okay so this little seed pod <laughs> goes to Paris by accident, and then somebody n- keeps takes it in a handbag and plants it in. in yes, simply co- yes,
2: coincidentally. So yes. then the Kahua actually finds something home. that belongs to her. Yeah. and it is yes. the existence of this quite accidentally, as you say, bought important bit of growth that actually growth. enables everybody to stay.
0: But with you, I mean you first, it, it's sort of very shocking, she's a little girl of about eight and she's ill in Syria and you've never, you were born in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. you grew up in Syria till the age of 11, and when she's ill, her, the, the person who becomes her beloved mother, her, your stepmother, um, she said, what do you want, and you, you wail, I want to go home! <laughs> and you meant Pakistan, which you'd never been to. No,
1: mm. Well it, it was also a country that i
0: I'd never been to at
1: that time, but but I knew from from the music my father listened to, and I knew from the food we ate, and I and I knew from the language that they spoke, e- that he spoke to with his mother when he was happy, you know, and and it became, you know, c- homes live in your imagination also, and mm. and I like very much what um, I think Rumi said that, you know, ev- even though y- you wander everywhere, your compass always points towards home. And, um, and it, it, is, it is the case, it goes, any child, I think, feels that way. Um, when I went again to, to visit Delon in Greece, my, my brother, my mother adopted a, a little boy, and he's six now, was with us. And we landed in Mykonos, which is you know, just about the most beautiful place on Earth. And, and Mule, who had been away from home for about two months at that point, he said, oh, look. It looks like Karachi, (laughs) no it doesn't. It's a small little place of whitewashed houses and the beach, it looks nothing like Karachi. But he carried that image of home with him, even to Mykonos, (laughs) We all do it, I
0: suppose. Yes, well, that's a wonderful note on which to end this part. So if we can have the lights up, I'm sure you will want to um, ask questions. And we've got Frankie here. I do hope that all of the back of you that you've heard most of the words said. um, But um, now let's start with with questions. It's always scary to be the first. I've got lots more if you want. Um, Okay. okay. Hi. I I don't need the mic. I'm really loud. But 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 some people in the front some people in the front may
2: not hear you. Is it on? Oh, now it's on. Uh, it's a question for Faye Weldon. Um, Faye, I haven't read your book, obviously, which will, I will immediately rectify. Um, but from all the conversation, it sounded as if um, you could easily describe your book as um, slightly magical realism. Well, Do you have anything about that? Uh, it, it is a form of magical realism, but I now realize that it belongs to something called Kiwi Gothic, <laughs> 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 which, which I, which I just found out the other day. I mean, it fits the brief completely, which is the sense that out, uh, the writing out of New Zealand, the films out of New Zealand, are dark in a way, that there is always this sense of, sense of the Gothic there. And there's a lot of argument about it, it seems, in New Zealand at the moment. So I'm really glad to have contributed to the, to the genre, the new genre, which, <laughs> which people create all the time, actually. So it's Kiwi Gothic. And, and, there are, there and are also- magic realism, too.
0: There are some very nice swipes at Dawkins, because I mean, funny things happen in the basement where she's writing, and a, a face appears on the wall. And of course, this will never happen in Oxford, where everything, where, where Mr. Professor Dawkins lives, and where the trees all behave themselves, and the, and the furniture all behave. And the furniture does what it should. Yes.
2: And these sort of odd things don't happen, which I find happen in most of our lives. Actually, odd things you can't quite explain, like keys which sort of vanish, and letters which are there, and then turn up in the next room, and no one, well, I mean, obviously, you know, but you, you ignore them because they don't, they don't conform to one's practical view of the world and how to are all meant to behave in it, which is, it seems to me, not believing in these things. So, you know, so, so I like yeah. to behave as if this didn't exist while, while suggesting possibly that there is sort of more to everything than meets the eye at once.
0: But I suppose, in a way, magical realism is something which does away with the occult, whereas you are flirting, uh, it's a terrible flirt, this book, (laughs) with the occult the whole time.
2: Yes, it is. I mean, I... uh... But I always have done that. I I mean, when I was 11, I used to cast horoscopes for my school friends, (laughs) you know, because because my grandfather taught my mother, and, and, you know, and my mother taught my sister, and my sister taught me. So we became a family who would, you know, cast a horoscope at a moment's notice. (laughs) It was quite a complicated thing to do. But you did, and you did find out that, you know, if you did enough of them, you could see that there was a kind of correlation between what they were like and the patterns that their s- stars were making in the heavens, which is complete nonsense. How can, it not, how can it be true? So you behave as if it's nonsense. It is nonsense. Nevertheless, nevertheless, these things are true. But this is probably, in a minor way, true as well. But it needs to yeah. be kept minor.
0: I suppose, in a way, both these books are, are talking about are looking for explanation of why people do damaging things why there is harm in the human world well, i mean we know about, about floods and things but where though global warming is a sort of another issue but why do people do these awful things is one of the main explorations of greek tragedy and it's well, you it's, have it's, it it's
2: it's the it, it is at the root of most fiction i think is you know you're just curious and amazed at the way people behave and never you know it seems but also i think this happens to people who have moved from country to country in their in their youth because you go from one culture and there are all those rules of behavior you think they're normal you go into another culture and everything is different and yet both work so you're always slightly amazed at the way people are carrying on i mean <laughs> i mean the difference between between Damascus and Edinburgh it must be sort of extreme, and yet we're all people.
0: I I would I would venture so, yeah. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: Another question. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Down here, there, and there. for um, Fatima. Can I ask you? Did you get much in opposition to the idea of writing this book?
1: Well, uh, like all good Pakistanis, I'm I. Uh, incredibly paranoid. So I kept it very quiet while I was writing it. But once the book came out, um, while there was a great outpouring of support and solidarity in Pakistan, there was also um, great attacks. Because it's a book that not only talks about the, the present government, um, it talks about the army's violence, it talks about um, you know, people who have been mythologized, and it's a mythology that runs the country's politics now. Pakistani politics doesn't work on, on uh, principles or platforms or manifestos; it just runs on blood at this point. So, it, it yes. I mean, now, huh, now that now that the book is out and it's too late, uh, people uh, in the Pakistani establishment did react quite violently against the book. You
0: yeah. did go back last week.
1: I did. I. I um, I did go back, you know, and, and again talking about home, I, I grew up in exile, and the idea that someone might impose it on me again is not an idea I uh, am comfortable with at all. So, even though every two minutes it seems people remind me that, <laughs> that I put myself at risk uh, by doing this book, I, I went home. Um, I only had a few days in between all the book touring and traveling, but I, I was home. And um, and I'm going back still. I just I don't know how <laughs> yet. But soon, hopefully.
0: Now the question in the middle here. The questions are actually related. Um, but more about your family, because this is a very you know, this is your private memoir of your yeah. story and experience. So how did your family did they know that you were writing the book and did you let any of them see it? And did anyone try and censor what you said or did they just accept it and
1: well, I go with it? Um my, my family's, you know, my, my immediate family is very small now, uh, because after my father was killed, uh, my grandmother was taken away from us, and my one remaining aunt sided with her sister, who at the time was the, was the head of state when her brother was murdered, and who, Im- who impeded uh, the, the investigation. So I lost my father's side of the family uh, at the same time that I lost my father. But uh, my mother read the book. My brother read the book. Um, my uncle's daughter, who I was reunited with in the course of writing this book, read the sections uh, that pertain to her, and 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 they were all very supportive. Um, obviously, the you know Benazir's family, um, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and I think it's also a question to do with the legacy. You know, there is. There is this notion, it's an incredibly dangerous notion in Pakistan of, of legacy, of who controls a family's legacy. And of course, no one can control a family's legacy. It belongs to everybody. Uh, and, and more than that, the idea that somehow the butters belong to one person um, is offensive, because if anything, they belong to the people of the country who lived with them, and who loved them, and who suffered with them, and, and who suffered from them. Um, And I think that made it difficult for a part of the family just to accept that a a book like this will exist and and should exist, because all voices
0: have to be heard. Another question up there. Lady in pink. Uh, Another question for Fatima, please. you talk with sadness about the corruption in your country, and you also talk with great fondness of it. Do you ever see yourself drawn inevitably back to be part of the politics in Pakistan? Oh, just to clarify, I don't talk
1: with fondness about corruption, just <laughs> uh, fondness <laughs> about the country and, and sadness about the corruption. No. Um, no, because I I think, um, well, you know, talking about politics and talking about the force and the violence with both of those, um, I have no interest in perpetuating um, that and, and also I think I think dynasties is, is incredibly dangerous and, and, ha- and has been destructive for my country, but also there is a freedom with with writing that, that you don't have that you are not obliged to anybody, you're not indebted to anyone um, and I get myself into all kinds of trouble by, <laughs> um, by by taking that freedom. It's not one I'd give up no.
0: I suppose that's in another way this, this is about. Writing and that's what yes. that's your redemption and uh, from the yes.
1: well, you know, this idea of memory and this idea of of uh, of, of exploring very difficult themes, I think, in, in some ways, is only possible through a space like writing, like art, um, because it, what it does is it is it immediately opens up dialogue, and politics doesn't do that. Politics closes down dialogue, I think. So it shouldn't, but it
0: does. Yeah. Another question. Right at the back. That's there. I must say. I'd also want to say at the end of phase novel. There are these really awful things that people have done to each other, people have have been nice to each other, and then they've smacked them down, all sorts of things. But somehow, you shake it all so that it comes out neatly. And in a way, that's the image of writing, too.
2: Yes, well, it it, it is is a matter of of solutions, of finding a solution, of winding things up, of of coming to some kind of resolution, which is why people want books, why people want writing. Because real life is so chaotic, and you really can't see the pattern of your own lives, so though people search interminably forward for it. But actually, in fiction, this is what you do. You create a universe in which ends are tied up, which is very satisfactory and quite calming to read, because there is suddenly some glimpse of purpose in, in, in the way we live. Mm. Yes, yeah, sorry. Hello, uh,
0: this is a question from America. Have you seen and this is a question from Ms. Bhutto? Have you seen
1: a change since we uh, changed presidents in, in, in the relationship that you see oh. with the United States and Afghanistan and Pakistan? Um, unfortunately, and I'll be <laughs> brief on this because I could go on forever. Um, unfortunately, it's gotten worse um, if it's changed at all. Uh, as the focus shifted from Iraq to Afghanistan and President Obama doubled the troops present um, we've also seen um, Pakistan shift too, and you know, we, you know, this awful report came out, um, the UN did this report on targeted killings. I don't know if you, if you happened to catch that uh, a month ago, and, and, and they said that in, 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 in the last four years of the Bush presidency, there was something like four, 48 drone attacks that the administration ordered, and in, in 2010 alone, Obama has ordered 70 drone attacks on Pakistan. So, so the violence has, has increased, unfortunately. And, and fun, you know, the funding, the money uh, continues. It's not that Obama has stopped funding you know, what is essentially a corrupt and criminal government. Um, he's continued.
0: But in a way, but that's because of the Pakistan government, not because of the American government?
1: Um, or, or uh, both, maybe. I mean, I, th- I think as Afghanistan becomes more important to America, Pakistan automatically will become more important uh, along with it. You know, and this, this really revolting term, AFPAC, has suddenly... Uh, been created and, and, uh, and you see now, you know, there's a special envoy for, for the region uh, who, who comes in really well monthly, it would seem like. Um, I, I would say both, uh, although hopefully Ob- Obama's administration can change it, but not yet.
0: I think we've got, to kn- we've yes. got time for one more question. Anybody want? Okay.
2: Sorry, um, uh, Fatima, uh, you indicated that your, your safety was at risk after the book was published. Um, what about the uh, people, your family, that yeah. you alluded to in your book? Um, has their safety been affected in Pakistan?
1: Um, I, you know, it, it, would, it would seem so. I mean, I know that you know, several of the people who spoke to me for the book, um, they've been harassed. Uh, they've had cases filed against them in, in the case of one family um, you know it, it is a country where where that's possible you know there, there is no there is no safety from from the, the machinations of, of, of power um, you cannot go to the courts because they are controlled by the government and you cannot go to the police because they do the bidding of the government but uh, at the same time you know people are extraordinarily brave and they're extraordinarily um, courageous about speaking out and and yeah. that gives me some comfort but um, but yes i think i think we all have to exercise a bit of caution at the moment
0: yeah well we have to stop there there will be both Faye and fatima will be signing their books next door um, and i i personally want to thank you both very much and thank and you, you. Well, thank but you. All, i mean it it, it is uh, about the, wi- about writing as a witness, as a way of, of surviving our families, of making sense of them, and um, of enjoying them, when we can. So thank you all for coming, and please thank, thank them very very much. Many more Edinburgh International Book Festival event recordings are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk, along with a selection of videos.